Good morning, folks. How you doing? Man, I like that one. That one's a little bit old school. I love it. I love it so much. Welcome to the gathering of Recreate Church, where no matter your story, help me out, help me out, no matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. We mean that. We may not be able to do everything for everybody, but we'll do what we can for those we can, and we'll praise God for that. A um, couple of things coming up. If you have signed up to work with Children's Church, there will be a five-minute meeting after church service back in the kids' ministry area. Okay, so grab, go back there and see Kelly right after that. If you have signed up, please, please do attend. Of course, uh, this week is our trunk treat. I think that's still in there. Our trunk treat, um, same time as the Hillsville Safe Halloween. And some people are going to say, well, are you super into Halloween, Pastor? Nah. Not really, but I'm super into telling people, telling children that Jesus love them. That's what I'm super into. So I'm, I'm for that very much. And we may have a thousand kids come through this parking lot. I don't know. So if you want to set it up, if you're not familiar with uh, how a trunk or treat works, basically you come and you set up in the trunk of your vehicle and, and hand candy out to little kids that come by. And we've got some gospel information. We'll give them and opportunities to talk to their parents too. So that I'm super, super for. Hey, last week was a good week, huh? Those who made it, that was pretty awesome, our sixth anniversary. Happy six years plus one week today. That's, that's hey, we're still here. We're still here. We had a, a good crowd last week. Got a good crowd this week. Man, it's nice to see a lot of these seats full. Um, you know, after we came back in from COVID, it was a little tough for a while. You know, I'm so, so thankful for all that the Lord is doing. Um, you know, here, I just want to talk to you about... Uh, expectations today so um the man a man came in hey uh, come on come on in we're glad to have you here um a man came into a business and he says i'm here for a haircut the lady behind the counter says excuse me sir what do you mean he said i made an appointment to get my haircut and i'm here for my haircut she says sir i we, we can't give you a haircut he says i made an appointment she she says I don't know how that's possible. We didn't make any haircut appointment for you. And he says, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I'm here for a haircut. I'm going to get a haircut. Sir, we cannot give you a haircut. Look, lady, there is a pair of scissors in that cup on your desk. So don't tell me you can't cut your hair. And she says, that's what I'm telling you, sir. We cannot cut your hair. And the man says, this is ridiculous. This is the worst barbershop I've ever been in. And she says, well, that makes a lot of sense because this is a bookstore. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. I mean, your expectations, you set yourself up for disappointment or not with your expectations. You go to a bookstore looking for a haircut, you're going to be disappointed. It's kind of like brewing a pot of coffee and then being mad that you didn't get tea. Or, or thinking you're buying a dog, but you end up with a rat with an anger issue. But that might be a chihuahua. That could be a chihuahua. Uh, if, you got, if you're chihuahua people, I apologize. I don't mean anything by it. Don't sick your angry rat on me, please. So much disappointment is, is rooted in, the, in expectations that weren't matched with reality in the first place. Like that day I ate a salad, and I woke up the next morning, I got on the scale, and I had not lost five pounds. I was like, well, what's up? I laid and I ate a salad. I love being part of the 
being from part of the world where when you put mayonnaise on potatoes, it becomes a salad. That's a mystery to me, how that becomes a salad. I have no idea, but it's all right. It's okay. One of the big keys of a vibrant, joy-filled life with connection with Jesus is to have expectations that are, are rooted directly in the Word. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Otherwise, if you have expectations that aren't rooted in actual promises of God, you are like the guy looking for a haircut in a bookstore. You are going to be disappointed. Um, you're going to be angry that God is not keeping up his end of the bargain when he never made that bargain at all. We're in Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. And it's going to look like uh, Jesus is surrounded by this crowd that are that are on board, you're going to think, wow, I can't believe so many people are ready to follow Jesus. Except Jesus was not fooled. He knew that their following him at this point was based on an expectation that, was, that did not line up with reality. Okay, Here's the core of this message today. This is the nugget. This is the one thing if someone asks you later, what did the preacher preach on? This is it. It's this next slide here, I believe. The right expectation is transformation. The right expectation is transformation. What should you be looking for out of a relationship with Jesus Christ? Transformation. He's going to change your life in a positive way. That's what he's going to do. And uh, let's stop there and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you'll speak to us today about the power of transformation that comes from Jesus. Lord, I give you the glory and ask that you work in our hearts and begin to transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, the story takes place here on the Sunday before the Friday that Jesus was crucified. This is usually a springtime message. This is usually like a Palm Sunday message that we get right around the time of Easter. But I think it's going to work for us. We're, we're going through the book of Mark, and this is where we got, so i got to be sure that this is God where, where God wanted us to be today, because this is where we are in going through the book of Mark. So uh, this uh, Jesus and his disciples are almost to Jerusalem, okay? They've made it to the east side of the Mount of Olives, and there's a couple small villages there on the east side, Bethphage and Bethany, and they're waiting there. He's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and while they're there, um, he tells two of his disciples to go and do something, an unusual request. He said, go into the other little village. These villages are like a half a mile apart. Go into the other little village, probably Beth Bethphage, and you'll find a colt of a donkey tied there. Untie that young donkey and bring it to me. Now, you're probably thinking what I'm thinking. <laughs> What the disciples were probably thinking. Oh, Jesus, you want us to go steal a donkey. Uh, what if, Jesus, what if somebody catches us while we're committing grand theft donkey? And he had an answer for that. He said, verse 3, verse 3. He said, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? That's a pretty common reaction. The Lord, he says, say the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So the disciples did do as they were asked, and they were busted, and they did say, wait, the Lord has need of it. Now imagine somebody shows up at your house. Okay, let me, let me just clarify. This word Lord in, in the New Testament is kurios, it's Greek. It can mean several things. It doesn't always mean big L, Lord. It can mean master. It could mean boss. It can mean like sir. Say sir. 
um, they, it's not necessarily an automatic reference to the Lord Jesus. Now imagine someone shows up at your house and you find them hot wire in your car and you come out and say, what are you doing? And they say, oh, the boss needs it. The boss needs it. Then you folks around here might go back into the house and obtain the assistance of two fellows by the name of Mr. Smith and Mr. Wesson and come back out. That's how they deal with the situation. The people who owned the donkey, though, did not challenge them beyond that. They must have understood that when they said the Lord has need of it, they must have understood that it was the Lord, the Lord. And in that sense, they probably knew it meant Jesus. They, he would have passed through there before. They knew that Jesus was the Lord. That's a big deal. They're recognizing him as the Messiah. That's important. We're going to see a lot more of that in this chapter. But just because they recognize he's the Messiah, it doesn't necessarily mean they really understand how they're supposed to respond to him. So these folks let Jesus borrow a ride, this young donkey that had never before been ridden. That ought to show us the power of Jesus, that he has command even over creation, even over the animal kingdom, and even a little donkey knows its true master. If only we could be as smart as a little donkey and know that Jesus is our true master and obey him all the time. So he rides this donkey the two miles from Beth, Bethany through Bethphage into Jerusalem. And we don't normally think of a king riding into town on a, on a donkey, right? Uh, that's not an image we have. In modern times, if a, a king or a president comes, we would expect them to be riding in a limousine or a helicopter or a jet or something. Or in ancient times or, you know, even three or four hundred years ago, we would think of a king arriving on a horse, right? We don't associate a donkey with a king. In our day, a donkey is seen as like the comic relief, all right? The donkey's in the story as a, as a joke, as something to make us laugh, not in those times. They were considered royal animals in ancient Israel. When a king went off to war, he rode a horse. But when he entered his own city in a time of peace, he rode a donkey. Jesus comes in peace. And this is a fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, how about that? Fulfillment of prophecy right there. And people recognize this, at least to some degree. They take off their coats and cloaks, a very expensive thing they had. These coats, these outer garments would have been the only one they had, maybe. And they lay them along the road. They cut palm branches, a symbol of peace, and they lay them along the road. And they carpet the road. Maybe for as much as the two miles, I don't know, for some portion of that two miles from Bethany to Jerusalem, they carpet the road with their, their most valuable possession, their clothing, and with these palm branches. And they're shouting for joy. Let's get back into Mark chapter 11, verse 8. Uh, Many spread their clothes upon the road, and others cut down leafy branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed after cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Woo. 
Wouldn't it be nice if our town gave Jesus that kind of a welcome? That'd be all right, wouldn't it? We'd love to see that. Hosanna means Lord save us or Lord save us now. And that's a, that's a good thing to cry out. I, I think I could honestly sometimes pray Hosanna, but it's more like a Hosanna that I'm in a spot. And I say, oh, Lord, Lord, help me, save me, get me out of this. Hosanna. It comes from Psalm 118.25 in the Old Testament. This is a psalm of thanksgiving for the Lord's deliverance out of captivity. So the people who are shouting Hosanna recognize that Jesus has come to deliver them from captivity. Jesus offered himself as the fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9 and lots of other prophecies. He offers himself as the Messiah, as the rightful king. And it sure looks like the people are accepting him in that way. It seems like they're ready to join Team Jesus, to believe in him. This was also an opportunity for his enemies to oppose him and say, no, 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 he's not the Messiah. But really the only thing they managed to do was complain that his followers were too excited. This is the place where it says, you better quiet down your people and he's like if i tell them to be quiet the very rocks will cry out in joy and ain't no rock gonna cry in my place one old song used to say so jesus rides into town on a royal animal fulfilling prophecy offering himself as the messiah as the promised savior and king and it looks like he's got an overwhelmingly positive response so the the people expected him to go ahead and step into that role to set up a throne, to ask for a crown, to become a king. After all, thousands of people have pledged their support for him. The time seems ripe. But what did he actually do? Verse 11. Jesus went into Jerusalem and into the temple. So when he had looked around at all things, as the hour was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus visits the temple, then he leaves the city. He doesn't stay. He, he leaves. Now, why would he leave when it seems like all these people are ready to follow him, to accept him as Messiah? It seems very enthusiastic, right? So why? Why would he, why would he leave? It doesn't seem right. Jesus knew what was behind their enthusiastic welcome. Oh, they seemed to be on the team. But he wasn't fooled. You see, they would have told you they believed in Jesus. But the truth was they believed in their concept of Jesus. They were convinced that Jesus was going to set up a literal earthly kingdom at that time. That he would be a king like they understood a king should be on a throne. And he would name some of his 12 disciples to be his prime minister, secretary of state, Secretary of the Treasurer and Treasury and so forth. And most importantly, they believed, they expected him to reveal his plan to get rid of the Romans who occupied the country at that time and to reestablish Israel as a sovereign nation. That's what they expected. They expected a revolution. Okay? That is not why Jesus came at this time. They believed in Jesus they would say but they really believed in what they thought jesus would do for them materially see the problem is hey 
I want to tell you this. Someday Jesus is coming again, and he is going to rule, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. But that wasn't this time. This is the first time he came as a suffering Savior. Second time he's coming back as a conquering king. He did not come the first time to establish a literal geographic kingdom. They were certain that he was going to be a political and military deliverer. They didn't understand that he had come to deliver their souls. Now, I said at the beginning, the core of this message about expectation, the right expectation is transformation. If you're looking to Jesus for some other answers, you know what? He cares about all those things. He absolutely does. But his purpose is not necessarily what we think it is. His purpose is to transform lives, to save souls, to give us hope and a, and a future. Not always just the immediate things that we see. So Jesus heard these shouts of Hosanna, but he's not fooled. He knows that by the end of the week, some of these same people who are shouting Hosanna will be shouting, crucify him. The huge crowds would have told you they believed in Jesus. But they didn't understand the truth about him. When Jesus does not meet their expectations, they're going to turn away. Jesus knew this. That's why he went back to Bethany. He didn't let them make him a king. They would have made him a king that day. And the revolution would have started that day. This whole city of people wanted to follow him. But he knew better. Because he knew their real hearts. Look, I'll tell you right now, as much as I want everybody to follow Jesus, because I believe there is life and hope and peace and renewal and regeneration and forgiveness and reconciliation in Jesus, I want people to believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus. It's got to be for the right reasons or it won't make sense. So I, I want to get real personal for a minute, not picking on anybody, but just you within yourself. If you say you believe... What is it that you believe? Why do you believe? If you say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'm a Christian. What are you expecting from him? If your belief is rooted in something that's not in the scriptures, you are setting yourself up for disappointment. You're looking for a haircut at the bookstore. So I'm going to give you some, hey, I, I love to give you good reasons to believe, and we're going to get to that. I'm going to give you some bad reasons to believe. All right? I don't know if you're making notes. Don't make notes on this part. Make notes on the second part. This is bad reasons to believe, okay? There's not a list for this one. Okay, bad reasons to believe. One bad reasons to believe is, is to thinking that you're going to get material prosperity out of it. I realize there's some very prominent voices who will tell you, claiming to speak in the name of Jesus, that if you just pray this prayer, if you just do this, if you just give this recurring gift to our ministry then you will be materially prosperous. But Jesus, Jesus cares about our needs. I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus cares that your kids need shoes and your power bill is due. He cares. He cares maybe more than you do. And you take those needs to him. And I've seen this. He'll meet your needs. He will. But if you think there's a guarantee of wealth or material success as the world measures it, think again. Twelve disciples, right? Guys closest to Jesus, right? Did they become materially wealthy and successful in the ways of the world? No. 
They lived homeless as travelers for the rest of their lives, and most of them gave their life for the cause. It just doesn't work that way. If you, if you come looking for Jesus to make you rich, mm, there's only a few people who manage to do that, and that ain't even Jesus, I don't think it worked for some of these guys. Um, another bad reason to leave, believe, um, thinking that it'll make you have an easy life. Now, people get mad when they say, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus, and I don't understand why is life so hard. I find myself saying that in my day job. My job is, among other things, to make sure that some equipment is working in a factory setting. Have you ever worked in a factory setting? That equipment don't want to work. Now I got to make it work. And I say to myself, Lord, I think you're trying to teach me a lesson right now, and I sure hope we get to it real quick because this thing's not working. And we have a lot of that right now in my work. So, and I, and I get frustrated and I say, Lord, why has it got to be this hard? I don't think it has to be this hard. Someone says, hard times build character. What do I need all this character for? I don't need this much character, do I? Come on. Maybe I do. Maybe I don't have as much character as I think I have. That's probably what it is. And I really need a lot more. But it gets much more serious than that. You face some hardships in your life. You guys know what it's like to suffer and to go through loss. And you wonder, well, aren't I, if I'm a believer, aren't I supposed to have an easier life? Jesus didn't promise that. Here's what he did promise. John 16, 33. I have scripture for this. John 16, 33. He did promise this. These things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. Not you might have, not you could have, not if you're unlucky you will have. He says, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's two promises here. Promise one, you will have tribulation. That's not necessarily because you follow Jesus. Everybody's going to have trouble in this world. But with Jesus, you can overcome the world. That's the promise. Okay. Another bad reason to believe is social advantage. Historically, in the history of America, it, there has been an advantage in being identified as a Christian. For a very long time, if someone came to a community and they wanted to do business in a community, in order to be an upstanding citizen of that community, they had to be involved with the local church. So they would join you know, whatever church they're familiar with, whatever denomination they're familiar with. Um, there is still a little bit of that around, but it's by and large going away. Most people don't stop and think, this dentist is a pretty good dentist, but he's not a Christian. Now, maybe you do. Maybe you do think about that. But most people, that's way down the list. It's just like a bonus. All right, he can fix my teeth, and he loves Jesus. Cool, that's a bonus. But I'm telling you, that's changing in our society. As a matter of fact, in some parts of the business world, to be viewed as a Christian might be a disadvantage to you. Because, partly because, um, sometimes folks say they want someone with integrity, but not so much integrity that they're going to cost the company some money. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, there's limits. And some people just assume because you're a Christian, you're going to be uh, a Christian who goes about things in a very disruptive way, and that's not necessarily the case. Um, Another thing, oh, this is a big one. Oh, it's a tough one, okay? So buckle in your seatbelts in these very comfy church chairs. If you can't find your seatbelt, just pretend. Um, 
A bad reason to follow Jesus is thinking you'll have guaranteed healing. God is the healer. Jesus is the great physician. He absolutely can heal, and He does heal. But there are times when the Lord works through sickness rather than by taking His sickness away. Even so great a servant of God as the Apostle Paul had physical ailments that he prayed about multiple times, and God did not take them away. He said to Paul, it's better for you to stay where you are, and that's a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? But understand... God absolutely can and will answer prayers for healing. But if your faith rises and falls based on specific cases of getting healed or not, you're going to be disappointed. This next one I call the cosmic vending machine of blessing. As if God is a a cosmic vending machine that you insert a prayer or enough prayers and you push the button and out pops whatever it is that you want. That sounds real nice. But God never made that promise. Let me tell you, here's what I found out. That real, true, mature faith is found when you learn to trust God even when you're not getting those things you ask for. If you can trust God then, something's happening in your faith. If you can pray and it doesn't happen and you still trust God to know what is best, that's when something major is happening in your faith. And there are other things. We could keep on building this list. I just toss in a few at the end. If you, if you think Jesus, believing in Jesus will mean you never doubt. Or will, you'll always have a feeling of control over your life. Or free you from the responsibility for your actions. Or make all your relationships work out the way you want. You're going to be disappointed. Now here's a... Here's a little redeeming truth just about everybody who starts to follow jesus or tries to follow jesus begins with some of these misconceptions you don't start out as some kind of fully formed mature believer from the beginning no you start out as a spiritual baby and you grow and you'll have to even a true honest to goodness believer will have to grow through these things and i can tell you you can show up for the wrong reasons and still get the right thing praise god for that my grandpa on my dad's side told me he started going to church because that's the only legitimate place you could meet a nice girl at the time. That at that time in our culture, you just did not meet some girl somewhere for the most part. If you wanted to meet a nice girl, you met her in church service. And he did meet a nice girl in church service. He met my grandmother, and, and she was a good and godly person. They had a pretty good life together. But let me tell you, grandpa showed up for the ladies. But he found the Lord. He did find the Lord. Praise God for the ladies who have influenced a fella to get their heart right with God. And the opposite is also true. Maybe a little less common. Praise God for that. I don't know why it is so often the, the lady understands it before the man. It's so often this case though, look, we're going to start out with some of these issues. We're going to think. We're going to start out in our faith saying, okay, I'm a Christian now. Things should work out pretty good in my life now. And then you're going to run into some stuff that's like, wait a minute. I did not sign up for, what's that word, tribulation? I don't think so. I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for everything good and the Lord smiling on me and birds landing on my shoulders and singing sweet songs and driving into the Walmart parking lot and the perfect parking space opens up and there's a beam from heaven down on it that says you are blessed and highly favored. That's what I signed up for. And when you start getting something else, you're like, I don't know about this. 
You're going to have to outgrow that. And you can. If you're willing to pray and seek the Lord and do the work, you can. If you are not willing to pursue growth through these hang-ups, that's when you need to stop and check your spiritual pulse to make sure you have truly committed your life to Jesus. Just stop. I, ain't, I don't want to put anybody's doubts in anybody's heart at all. We've got enough doubt in this world. But I will say this. You, you really make sure where you're at. You will not be perfect, but are you pursuing the Lord? It is easy enough to, anybody can say they're a Christian. Anybody can think they're a Christian. But not everybody really knows the Lord. These people shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. They would have told you they believed in Jesus. They would have identified as a Jesus follower, but they didn't really know him at that point. So you might be saying, okay, all those reasons, those are bad reasons. Well, those were kind of the reasons I was counting on. You know, what's the point of following Jesus if, if it's not going to make my life easier, if I'm not going to get some financial gain out of it? Oh, let me tell you, there is so much reason to follow Jesus. The right expectation is transformation, and that's a lot better than other things. There are people who've got a lot of, who have a relatively easy life. You know people who have an easier life than you do, more money than you do, and they ain't happy. You know those people. I, I can't give you any money. I can't make your life easy, but I can tell you about this Jesus who will transform your life so in the midst of trials and tribulations and poverty, you can have joy. So here's just a few. I do have a list here. I don't know if you're the writing down kind of person or if you're a snap a photo of the screen kind of person. You're welcome to do both. But here's a list of nine real biblical guaranteed reasons you can trust in jesus you can build a lasting relationship you can count on these because they're right out of the word of god here we go number one salvation and forgiveness salvation and forgiveness that's a good reason to follow jesus salvation and forgiveness you can have that you got burdens you got guilt you can be made clean from that number two spiritual transformation you'll you'll change you'll be a different person than you who were before you will have some better understanding a better view of the world it won't make your life easy but he'll always be with you number three personal relationship with jesus the god of the universe became a human being in jesus christ and wants to know you and care about you and love you and the scriptures say that as well as he knows us we will know him that well. That's right out of the word of God. To know as we are known, that's mind-blowing to me. You see, people misunderstand this whole following Jesus thing as a set of rules that, hey, if we just check all these boxes, now nah, nah, I'm a Christian. No, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's getting to know him and, and walk with him and love with him. Number four, guidance and direction. Praise God he will guide us. Now, we won't always, like, I, I wish, man, I wish that sometimes that God would give us sort of like a GPS, you know, like, make this turn here. <laughs> Whoops, you made the wrong turn. Recalculating, you know. It's not necessarily like that, but I will tell you, if you seek the Lord in prayer and his word, he will show you what to do. You wrestling with something? I would love to tell you that uh, you'll get an instant answer. You probably won't. But if you seek the Lord, he will show you what to do. Number five, guaranteed thing is 
strength in trials. We were never promised an easy life, but we were promised we would never walk alone, and that is so valuable. Nobody has an easy life, really. Some people's lives are relatively easier, and some are much, much harder, but none of us has to walk alone. Number six, eternal life. Why didn't you start with that one, preacher? Because we have a really hard time having a concept of eternity when we're right here and right now. I want you to understand that your blessings of being part of God's family don't start when you die. They start when you're made alive in Christ. And they keep going. They just don't stop. I mean, I've told you before, believing in Jesus is not fire insurance for eternity. It's a transformation here and now. And yes, eternity is going to be real good. But until we get there, it's, it's still good. Number seven, spiritual gifts. You know that every real believer has been given some kind of gift in which to serve other people. Um, people will kind of notice the ones like what I'm doing right now, the preaching gift, and think that's one of the only few or, or have a very limited idea of gifts. And that is not necessarily the case. Um, you have gifts too. You have gifts if you're a believer that you can use to serve the body of Christ and serve others. Number eight, joy and peace. Ooh, I like this one a lot. Not an easy life, but still joy, still peace. Number nine, purpose and calling. Your life will have purpose with Jesus in it. It may be different than what you expect, but it's there. These are expectations that are real. You can build a relationship with Jesus on this kind of stuff. This is the right thing. I want you to picture for a moment a man riding in a sidecar of a motorcycle. Do you know what that is? The little thing that attaches to the side of the motorcycle. It's, it's dark. And this man is riding with his brother, and they're headed to the zoo of all places, going for a visit. And this man is riding in this motorcycle sidecar, and he is thinking, and to his slight surprise, he's praying. Now, to most, this man is successful. He's a war veteran. He's an intellectual. He is a professor at the world-renowned Oxford University. He looks like he's got it, but he's deeply unhappy. He's angry. He's bitter. He's poisoned on the inside. We'll call him Jack. That was his nickname, Jack. Jack's mother died when he was a little boy leaving him with a father who had some very bad issues, a father who wasn't really made to be a father. Maybe some people in this room know that pain. And this father was not there for him and did not care for him, who was distant and he was demanding. He went to war and watched his best friend get blown up beside him. Awful. He was raised in church, but he didn't want anything to do with church or a God who would have let such things happen he decided that in a world that is this hard how can there be a god and he was deeply deeply unhappy he had some good friends though praise god for good friends when we're in a bad place Uh, these are friends who continued to pray for him friends who were believers and one of them was a fellow professor at oxford he was in the same literary club they were both writers and and his name was john John had endured a lot of hardship in his life, a lot of pain in his life. He had also seen the horrors of the very same war, and yet he chose to trust God for it. John prayed for his friend Jack. 
He talked to him for years. Eventually, Jack came to the point where he had to admit God was real. Now, he wasn't ready to become a Christian. He wasn't ready to make any sort of commitment like that. But he did say, okay, there must be a God. Don't understand this God yet, but there must be a God. Three years later, he's riding in the sidecar of this motorcycle, and he's thinking, and he's praying, and the light bulb comes on. And he puts his trust in Jesus at that time. And he described himself as being surprised and overwhelmed by joy. The joy that he'd been missing. Nothing has changed in his life. His history is just the same. His situation is just the same. The only thing that's changed is his heart has been transformed, made new. His life's not easy. His past is still terrible. But he's made new. And this man gets out of that motorcycle sidecar different than he was when he went in and that's where it started and he went on to become one of the most influential christian intellectuals of all time and a renowned author of many books many of which you might have read if you've ever read the chronicles of narnia series because this man's nickname was jack that's what his family called him but his real name was Clive Staples Lewis, better known as C.S. Lewis, the author. And his friend John, who influenced him to trust in Jesus, was John Ronald Rule Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote The Lord of the Rings. They were buddies at Oxford. C.S. Lewis had the wrong expectation for years. But when his expectation became transformation, things changed for him. He got the transformation. Look, I'm telling you right now, Jesus cares about you and your everyday problems. He does. He absolutely cares. He cares about the bills. He cares about the battles. He cares about the burdens. He cares about the relationships that you've got that are under a lot of strain. He cares about all of that. He cares about the things that you're fighting that you feel like you'll never win against. He cares. And you can take those things to him and he will absolutely help you. But I'm telling you, beyond all those wonderful things, he has a better, truer purpose. He's going to transform you. He will save you if you trust in him. If you say you believe, what is it that you believe? Are you believing because you think you'll get your wishes granted for things to get easier? You know what? I, I hope you hope things do get easier for you. But that's not the right reason to believe. If you believe in Jesus Christ as the one who will transform you and give you new life, you'll have that. The right expectation is transformation. And I don't know if anybody needs to seek that right now or just get a reminder of that right now. But let's pray. And you pray along too if you need to. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that Jesus came to transform us. Thank you that he cares about our material needs. Thank you that he cares about the stuff we're going through. And thank you, Lord, that even if those things don't change, even if our hardships do not change, we can change. We can be transformed through the power of the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God, help us to be people that when we shout Hosanna, we do it with the right heart. A heart that's looking for transformation. Not just to get some earthly things that we want. God, I, I want to pray for anybody who is receiving this message live or through a recording later. 
Lord, that you'd work in their hearts. And if they need to pray and be saved, they would do so. And they'd pray something like this, Lord. Father in heaven, I believe in you. I believe Jesus is your son, the Savior. I want to be forgiven of my sin and transformed. I give you my life, and I ask for a new life from you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. 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 So glad that you were here for this today. I pray the Lord's doing work in your heart and your life. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to start back at Mark chapter 11, verse 12. And we'll just keep going from there. And you say, well, how long are we going to be in the book of Mark, Pastor? Until it's done. I don't know. How long is that going to take? So let's just, let's just enjoy it. It's been a good ride so far. Thank you all for your presence. Come back next week. Drag some more people with you. We'll bust out a few extra chairs. We'll make room. We'll make it work. God bless you all. Take care. We'll see you.